Caught in a time warp, hurled thousands of years into the future, Ikari Warriors 2, Victory Road. to Nostalgia, a chronological exploration of every NES game released in North America. I'm Mike. I'm Joe. And I'm Sean. And we have a pretty good episode here. It's not number 100, it's number 99. Uh, for some people that might be luckier. I mean, that's Wayne Gretzky's number, so that's a big <laughs> deal. It's, if he's listening. If he's listening. It's, it's the best two-digit, it's the highest two-digit number. It's the highest two-digit yeah, number, yeah, and that's important. That's uh, yeah, and you know, some would argue that nine is the highest single-digit number. Some I would argue, argue that. that. So that's twice as powerful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Uh, ten times. Ten times as powerful. I yeah. got you. Okay. Uh, more importantly, yes. this is the last episode that we are recording in the 2010s. It's true. All right. You guys don't sound as shocked as I thought I was going <laughs> to make it seem. I had a shocked look on my face. All right. I, to be to be fair, I told you guys this going into it. <laughs> I was still shocked. Yeah. I thought you were lying. <laughs> Very I mean, it's on, the, it's on the schedule. Like, there's no more dates after that one. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's uh, like Y2K. Right, right. What do we roll back to? <laughs> 2000, in, the year 2000. In Y2K, there was, like, that problem, right? Where it yeah, was like, what, what was, the computer yeah, would go back to, like, yeah. 1901 or 1900 <laughs> yeah. and we won't know what's... What's what? It won't know the price and of the, milk. Exactly. Financials break down, you know, yeah, good stuff the like that. The get launched. But I thought that the best thing we could do to celebrate the end of the 2010s is something that we don't ever really do on Nostalgia, but talk about our our top five games of the 2010s. So, Mike, that's like 15, 20 years in the future of the games that we usually talk about. Right. It's, yeah, it's, it's very far into the future. We're working through like March of 1988 right now, and we're going to go ahead and talk about anywhere from 2010 to 2019. But please only pick five, and let's not treat this like the essential games list vote <laughs> where you have to like reason it. Feel free to gush about these games. You clearly love them if they're on your top five of the decade. But let's not uh, let's not overdo it, okay, Sean? So we're jumping right into this. I think we should. <laughs> Don't we have a game to talk? No, <laughs> no, no. no. We st- we Warriors. Yeah. <laughs> okay, What's more to say? Yeah. We're at the back of the box. Yeah, guys. I'm sorry if if we tricked you by labeling this episode Ikari Warriors Two, but we're we're gonna wait to talk about that. Yeah, we'll get there. Yeah, I I think that everybody is actually thanking us. They were reluctant <laughs> to even press play on this episode, <laughs> yeah. and now they're like, oh, they're gonna oh, talk, about, talk like, about real video games. Else. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, Sean, give us your rundown. What are your top five games of the 2010s? And again, they don't have to be in order or anything, so let's just hear them. I'm going to actually go in, you know, the, the order that makes sense and in order of release. Great. Um, so, should I talk about them as I mention them? I think so. Okay. So, from earliest to latest, uh, my first top five game of, tw- of the 2010s is Mass Effect 2. Um this world that Bioware built was one of the most fun that I had in like in gaming when I was like in college and uh I just really loved that even like down to the littlest science bit they had something to talk about within the game and that was reflected in the characters in the core conflicts within the game it was just a blast and you know this is my favorite 
podcast on the Citadel. So. No, all right. <laughs> That's awesome. And Ma- Mass Effect 2 is like right there, right? It's like 2010. It's like October or Ma- or March. I don't remember. Right. It just feels like so long ago yeah. that it's crazy that we're talking about like Mass Effect 2. You know, sometimes even I would think about a game like uh, for this list. I was thinking about Braid. And I was yeah. like, oh, that's 2008, <laughs> though. But it's like, who knows? You know, yeah. like a decade is such a long period of time. I that I group Mass Effect 2 and Braid kind of like I know, together. They're, they're in that same. They're in that same era of like Super Meat Boy and like that whole beginning of even though it's, you know, Mass Effect is a a triple a game right it, i still think of it in that time during period. the king of indie games yeah thing, we're starting to really see those things take off all right so that was that was the first one what else you got uh same year uh so fallout new vegas okay which you would I, i'm surprised that it was actually a 2010 game like going back and looking i'm like wow i thought this was 2008 2009 but i guess that's more just fallout 3 uh but fallout is a is a world that is you know near and dear to my heart it's i think it's one of the best open world games to ever be made Mm -hmm. um and people are still using it today as like a platform to create their own fallout fanfic like there was a there was a mod that just came out last year called uh project california or fallout california Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think it was Fallout California or something. Yeah, like or that. New yeah. California. New California, okay. Yeah, and uh, th- that was that was cool, too. Obviously a fan thing, but uh, its longevity has held up. Yeah, and New Vegas, I remember that being, like, the first game I played in college. Like, I yeah. brought my Xbox 360 with me to college, and that was, like, something I was like, oh, I love Fallout 3, I can't wait to play it. And it was so different that it was actually, like, refreshing. It wasn't. Yeah. I, I almost feel like if I got more Fallout 3, I would have just preferred it to be the, the great DLC that they were putting out. Exactly. What um, do you got? <laughs> all right, so fast forward two years, and we got Hotline Miami. Okay. Wow. wow, top five. That is one of my top five I, games. I don't even know if I know what that is. Hotline Miami is like, it's sort of a, a top-down shooter, uh, but it's it's so fast-paced and violent, and it's just a sensory overload. I would recommend anybody that hasn't to play it. Obviously, uh, it has influenced my taste in music more than I ever imagined a game could, uh, as well as just my ap- appreciation of certain aesthetics. Uh, it's got a great way of telling its story. It's just like this dazed fever dream of a. It's it's a mess, but it's lovely. And that, now that came out a few months after one of your favorite movies, Drive. Correct. It was pretty much. It went hand in hand of developing this really weird like. <laughs> I just want the '80s that never existed to come back. You know. Right. Right. Even though I never never lived through it. And yeah. I guess yeah that's different why I'm than here. like the 1980s that we're playing. <laughs> exactly. Through. It's a yeah. very. It's it's some some games that sort of bleeds through. Uh, like that whole intro to uh, with the Freedom la- Force. Freedom Force. Free- yeah. Freedom Force was and, very um, what I'm looking Rad for. Rad Racer. And Rad Racer. Rad Racer felt like that. Yeah. All right. And you got some more. Um. So fast forward again, one year to The Last of Us. Uh, I'm sure this is on many top ten of the decade lists in um the actual media. So I'm sure you don't need my description of it. But one of I, one of my favorite stories in games. A Sean vote of confidence is good, though. Yeah, you know, yes, like, absolutely. If you haven't played The Last of Us uh, and you can, and you listen to like a niche podcast like us, I feel like you know you know enough about gaming that yeah. you should get <laughs> yeah. involved in in The Last of Us. Yeah, yeah. I, I will say about The Last of Us when I when I played it, I remember my brother walked in the second I beat it. He walked in right as the credits were rolling, and he said that like the look on my face was just like jaw <laughs> on the floor. Like, and it's not even for the reasons you would think so. Think 
for like a ending of a game. Just, I I won't say any more, but oh, yeah. Okay, and you have one more. My last one is uh, just came out, and it may be. I mean, it's definitely my game of the year. It might be my game of the decade, uh, and it's Disco Elysium. It is the funniest, uh, most cathartic gaming experience I've ever had. Could you talk a little bit about what Disco Elysium is for the uh, listeners at home? It's brand new, so I it's feel brand like, new. Yeah. It's it's very much a product of uh, of old '90s CRPGs like uh, Planescape Torment. Right. It's pretty much the spiritual successor to Planescape Torment, except instead of uh, going around D and D sort of settings, you are in this sort of alternate 1970s, playing some washed up detective. Um, it's spoken to me on an emotional level. It's uh, that combined with the way that it sort of it combines its setting, its characters, and its story with the uh, with mechanics um, and how you develop your character. It's just an amazing experience, and I think that anyone that wants to see an artistic, ma- like flawed masterpiece, should play this game. That's awesome. I have a question though because I did some digging up on Disco Elysium, and apparently there seems to be some growing narrative because now that it is winning so many Game of the Year awards and stuff, that there's like a, a part two moment in the game where suddenly the game isn't as good as the first half, and that it, it forces you to do a lot of things that maybe you know you weren't like like it was a lot more open in the beginning and now sure. and so i'm wondering did you get to that yet do you feel that at all i would say that the since from the right off the bat while you do have open choices to make this is not you the player's story like you can't create your own character uh you can't give yourself a stupid name and um you're not making a uh, a player avatar. Right. You're not setting, like, intelligence to zero and, like, babbling <laughs> in conversation, right? Like, like that's a thing people like to do in Fallout games. Yeah. So. You're not you're not doing anything like that. Uh, this isn't in a, a true open world game in the sense of uh, Skyrim. Um, so, obviously, it's a more narrative-focused game, and this is the narrative that they were going for. I know that people have complained about other games about, like, sort of railroading you near the end. Uh, Final Fantasy 15 being one of them, uh, and many others, but uh, the the writing in this game is leaps and bounds better than any of those, and I think that that gives it a pass in this instance. Okay. Yeah. Great. Uh, real fast, I'm going to read off. Sam sent us his top five. Uh, just to give you an idea, it is completely different than Sean, so that's that's good to see. But unfortunately, it's kind of close to mine, so uh, I'm going <laughs> to scoop myself here and announce his. So in no particular order, Sam has Halo Reach, which uh, I feel like a lot of people wouldn't have expected. I don't know when Halo 3 or 4 came out, but I feel like 4 would be eligible. It's definitely a game that has re-entered the public's uh, I like head because of the new release on uh, PC. Right. And then one that I think a lot of people are putting on their top of the decade and their number one game of the decade I'm seeing on a lot of um, critic sites is Minecraft, uh, a game that exploded yeah. in the first half of the 2010s and is just continuing to grow more and more and, you know, that made the 
maker of the game a billionaire. Yeah. So, like, that, you know, it can happen. Yeah. Major <laughs> blind spot for me, too. Never played it. Yeah, never, never played it, it either, yeah. for what I, it's worth. I have played it, and if, if definitely if we're going for, like, the most influential games of the decade, it, it should be it's up there. Be, yeah. All right. And and I think that's what most of those critic websites are trying to do, too. They're not just saying, like, yeah. this. Yeah. But then again, you could also say the same thing for The Last of Us. That's definitely a... True. Uh, In, like, a different yeah. direction, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Smash Ultimate, I think that's a surprise. Uh, I think that's a, you know, it's really fun, but we we know that Sam loves Super Smash Brothers, so I think that makes sense that he would really connect with a game that just brings back every single one of its characters. Uh, the Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, I think that's no surprise and is also on a lot of people's lists. Scooping up those first places. And Mario Kart 8, uh, a huh. game that saw life on two different Nintendo consoles, and um, I think, you know, just... It says a lot that it conti- it sold like most of the Wii U's. Like I think it's something like ninety percent of Wii U owners owned Mario Kart Eight, and it's not nearly <laughs> as much for Switch owners. But that's because there's so many more Switch owners. Yeah, but it does still have like it's one of the top five best selling games on Switch after it was already so I own it. Yeah, well selling. Yeah, so I think that that's something cool. All right. Well, my my first couple are definitely definitely very i mean they all are but this you'll really be able to see my like personal personal tastes yeah. which it here. should be right. Yeah, yeah right um so my first one is actually kingdom hearts birth by sleep which was a psp game like i think right i think it was like right in like 2010 um and like you, you probably know by now kingdom hearts is like one of my favorite my favorite series um and and i think birth by sleep even though it does have plenty of flaws i know like because it's a PSP game, it's definitely like a little, a little less uh, like gameplay wise. There are some, some of the worlds are not fleshed out as much and everything like that. But I think that it hits this thing, this this balance where it's trying to experiment with gameplay and not be stale, and it's trying to you know it, it's this this is the game where I feel like the complexity, the, the infamous or famous complexity of Kingdom Hearts stories has reached its saturation. And this is seriously, and I, and I think it's good, like I, in a good way. I love the complexity of it, and I, and I think if it stayed at this level of complexity, maybe a little more complex of a story, that would be good. Once they start going a little too much, there's a point where it like could has potential just to come crashing down after Birth by Sleep. No spoilers for what happens after <laughs> Birth by Sleep. My next one is another similar one. It might be a little cheap because it is a, a remake, but uh, it's Pokemon Heart Gold and Soul Silver. Okay. That's two and, games, Joe. Okay, it's Pokemon mm. Soul Silver. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's funny how, like, it's, it's yeah. true. Like, nobody really thinks about it like that. I could have just thrown, like, another game. It's like Pokemon Heart Gold, Soul Silver, and The Last of Us. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, so the original Gold and Silver is probably, like, my favorite Pokemon generation. Uh, it's the one that I spent the most time with. It's the one that I felt like, after Generation 1, which I loved, this is the one where I felt like I was, like, fully immersed in this in this world and I felt like I there was so much to do especially when I was a kid I just couldn't believe how much was packed into this Game Boy game and I think Heart Gold and Soul Silver is an amazing remake of that and not just in a remake that it's just completely just copying it and making the graphics better or whatever I think it really it adds a lot you can have a Pokemon following you as you go it adds a lot with you now you can connect with your friends online and things like that and also revolutionary for the Pokewalker you know and you can say that that maybe had some influence on what became Pokemon Go yeah. which I don't know if that's good or bad but uh, <laughs> but like you know they, Pokemon they, Go is up there in a lot of people's lists of I, yeah. well I'm sure definitely games. definitely a very important game yeah. I think but um but yeah, they, they that's like an early time where they were trying to get their their audience to go outside. They were like, you know, here's the Stop playing. Um 
It's number three. And by the way, these are no particular order yeah, at yeah, all. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, number three is Skyrim, which I had never played an Elder Scrolls game before or after this. Um, and I and I really that was my first. Like, well, they keep releasing it, so there has been yeah, no after. Yeah, that's true. I mean, <laughs> but I mean, I haven't gone back and played Oblivion or anything. I see. Um, now, did you play it on like PS3, Xbox 360, the fridge? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I played it on Alexa. That whole yeah. Yeah. Uh, we no, did play it on Alexa. We did. That's joke. right. Yeah, we did that. Um, uh, we played. I played it on PS3. Um, and this is the first time I've really played like a Western RPG. I was very into JRPGs before this, and I still am. But um, first time I played a Western RPG, and I love. I know that like everything is open world now, and every, every game has like you can go anywhere. But I still think Skyrim, at least of the games that I've played, has like the most. You have the most freedom to actually just be whatever you want and do whatever you want. You can get whatever abilities you want. You can take whatever paths on your skill trees. And it's it's actually like fun to to role play in that world. Take a character and say like this character's motives are this, and I'm going to just follow those motives as I, as I play. Like it has a fleshed out enough world that you can that you can you know live that out. I would recommend going back into like Oblivion and, and Morrowind. Specifically yeah, I, too. I would like to. I've heard really good things about yeah. Morrowind. You'll have um, to you'll have to like edit your thoughts on how games should look right. and sometimes play. Yeah. But we do that all the time on this show. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. That's, that's true. true. Yeah. Yeah. If we can get through Akari Warriors 2. <laughs> Which we <laughs> might. Yeah. Then uh then I guess uh Morrowind probably wouldn't be too tough. Um so my next one is What Remains of Edith Finch? Has anyone played this? this I have. This is my biggest uh my biggest uh like runner up no, I'm sorry. My, this is one of my biggest uh, gaps. gaps in my history. Gotcha. Yes, um, I played it. Um, you know, you know, different things for different people. You know, uh, I wouldn't say that I hated it, but uh, I got a lot more out of other walking simulator style games. Yeah, than, than, yeah. than I did. Out well, of the only other one I really played is Firewatch, which I, I I've heard mixed opinions on this too. But I, I put Edith Finch over Firewatch just because I love the atmosphere and the the. The weird mystery behind it, uh, and and I love the way that it. You are just walking through a story. You can't fail this game. You can't lose really. Yeah. But you, it's just gives you a different, a different method of telling each story. It's telling a bunch of different stories at once. You you play a different kind of unique, interesting type of gameplay yeah. in in each in each little mini story, and it tells like an overall story too. That I just I just found it was very. It sucks you in and makes you kind of like feel that uh, immersion of like something yeah. weird's going on. And like the, what is it? You're, you're invested in the mystery. I had three games just like that um, that just didn't make the cut. Like between yeah. between uh, Stanley Parable, uh, Gone Home, and Beginner's Bo- I'm sorry, the Beginner's Guide. Like I I really dig those games. So yeah, I, I was yeah. I was expecting you to put um, Stanley. No, the. Uh, What's the one where you rewind time? Life is Strange. Life is Strange. I don't See, know. That, you I recommended that, that to me a few times. I wouldn't call that a, a walking simulator. I guess it's not. I haven't yeah. played it, but, but even though you I, recommended it. It was it. also up there. Yeah. Um, All right. How many more you got? I got one more. All right. And and I will say that it was between The Last of Us and this one. And since you gave The Last of Us its, its due, I'll, I'll give my other one. <laughs> um, I'm Dishonored. The first ah. Dishonored, huh. which I also have never really been a big stealth game person, but this is the first one I really gave a chance, and it really makes you feel like a badass. The, the <laughs> abilities that you can get in Dishonored, and the way you can teleport behind someone and assassinate people, and the way you like 
have different options of playing as aggressive or really playing stealthy. It, it kind of opened my eyes, made me want to play other stealth games. And I've tried one or two others, including Dishonored 2. Um, didn't do it for you? It was it was okay. But okay. It, it, never, it didn't bring me back to the feeling I had with yeah, uh, it Dishonored. It is a great game, yeah. All right. Uh, and just to round things out here on this extended opening uh, segment <laughs> of our podcast, uh, I will just tell you my top five. And I don't really think they're in any particular order, but I'll list them in like an order that makes sense to me. So the first one is Super Mario 3D World. Okay. Uh, I feel like a lot of people might be surprised by that because Super Mario Odyssey exists. Personally, I think 3D World is better. And uh, what I really like about it is it brought back a sense of uh, just like pure thrill in the controls of Mario and like the, the play style of it that I hadn't felt since I was like a kid not understanding how to play those kind of games. Like there's so much variety in level design and and options especially when you play with all four players that uh this game was just a blast to me and it's one of those games i got on like a christmas one time so it has like that whole joy yeah. behind it too this one might be more of a feel than an actual game but uh when i'm thinking like mario like super mario 3d world's up there with me with the old marios too like super wow. mario world and 64 like i think 3d world's like right there mm. with them uh another one that uh is it's kind of funny and is like a meme around us right now, but Batman Arkham City <laughs> is, is a legit game that I think is deserving of my top five because it's the only game in my entire life, maybe. Uh, yeah, Mass Effect 1 comes close, but it's the only game in my entire life where as soon as I beat it, I watch the credits roll and then just hit New Game Plus and started playing again. <laughs> Just being like, I bet I could do this in like four hours now. Like so specifically, I was, city, not not, not asylum, not asylum, not, not night, not night. Okay. Specifically, Arkham City. Uh, I think that like now the script is flipped and people hate city and like asylum. I is love the, city. Right, yeah. right. I think that like they did a good job with making it contained in, in an open world that makes sense yeah. for Batman. I think once you took it to like outside of the uh for like night and stuff like that like that got to be a bit too much (laughs) and the batmobile was weird and stuff like that like i think containing it to the um like now the asylum is this whole area and stuff like that like i thought that was really cool and there was something you know like the plot wasn't really there but i didn't care because the gameplay was so fun oh yeah and another game that i really enjoyed uh spider-man on ps4 uh Basically failed me in the later half of the game. I did not, and I wound up not enjoying it because of how the second half of the story goes. But that game, I I realized the reason why I was liking it so much is because it reminded me of Arkham City. You know, it wasn't really doing anything too different. It was just taking the Arkham City thing and being like, yeah, we could do that in twenty eighteen again. Yeah, no problem. So Batman Arkham Arkham City for sure. Uh, okay, Witcher three, uh, mm. a game that I don't think either of you have played. I have owned it since it was released. I, I've played it, not gotten very far. Never it, played. I've played a little bit, and I've watched you play this. Yeah, this deserves uh, a, a mention from me specifically because I hate this like area of fiction. Like I, ca- I can't stand <laughs> Game of Thrones. I don't like medieval fantasy. times. Yeah, yeah, fantasy things in general is just like not for me. So for The Witcher Three to like hook me, I played it strictly because it won Game of the Year. Uh, the year that it came out, I think 2015, 16, maybe. I think it's 15. I think. Yeah. And it won game of the year, and I was like, oh, I, I got to get my hands on this. I heard it looks beautiful. I just built a PC. So I uh, I was playing it, and I thought I wasn't going to care for it just because of how it started. But 
even the game, like the gameplay, it's weird. It's not that like intuitive. The controls aren't great. Like 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 melee, you know, like, like melee is very weird in, in The Witcher. But there's just something so you're like engrossing. reading the back of the box right now. Yeah, there's just something so engrossing about the story, the characters, and the uh, like the quest themselves. Like you really feel. As, as you as you pick up the quest and stuff, it doesn't feel like it's like, okay, cool, can you go pick up this thing over on the other side of the map and bring it back to me? Like, each thing is like, oh, there's this very specific monster, and I have to think about, like, maybe I should read up on, like, what it's weak to and, like, how yeah. I'm going to tackle it down. I thought that was so cool to have that in a game. So people are probably going to tell me, well, you'd really like Monster Hunter, but I don't. <laughs> I don't like Monster Hunter at all, actually. It's still a little too jank for me. Okay, Pac-Man Championship Edition oh DX. Oh my god. <laughs> it's it's a real pick for me and I I have to say this was I I could have never expected this but this is the perfect arcade game and I am confident after playing Pac-Man Championship Edition 2 that nothing will ever top Pac-Man Championship Edition DX in terms of like what is just incredibly fun both visually and uh and in terms of like gameplay loop like the the it's so simple the way that they change the game to be the ghost chasing you to like you luring in the ghost behind you and there's just something like the way they designed the puzzle format of it it just speaks to me on a whole nother level and i get into a groove and i really like attack so, the leaderboards on that one so <clears throat> this isn't meant as a counter yep but my question is what did you think of or have you played tetris effect and I have played Tetris Effect, and the difference there, I think, is while that game is also very visually stimulating and a different way of playing Tetris, at the end of the day, it really is just Tetris marathon mode set to, like, music. <laughs> you know, it didn't redesign Tetris, whereas, like, you might argue Tetris 99 actually did, did, like, a yeah. better job of, like, redefining what Tetris is. Uh, Pac-Man Championship Edition DX is not playing Pac-Man. It's not like the arcade version, but now with better visuals, whatever that would be. It's the same exact visuals through like all different kinds of layouts, but instead now it's about like the puzzle of the maze itself and how you would how you use that to get like the highest score possible, all set to really nice great music, music and yeah. yeah, great music and great visuals. So I had to put that on my list. I actually felt weird at first because it's such a tight experience, but I've been playing it since it came out like yeah. i just always go back to that game it's easy to boot from steam it's like i'm yeah. i'm playing a game in like two seconds you know i i would really uh really like to get that on switch but i got the uh second edition which isn't terrible that <laughs> game it's just like it's not it's not as good as the first one definitely play pac-man championship edition dx and my last one the most obvious i feel is breath of the wild uh there's something about zelda games that everybody seems to uh like like if you're a Nintendo guy, but for me specifically, Breath of the Wild was the first time where I was like, oh, you can think about like designing video games in a different yeah. kind of way. A and they and they thought about the problems of open world games and they didn't fix every problem and they actually created some new ones <laughs> in the way. Uh, but just those first like 20 hours of Breath of the Wild, which I think yeah. is better than like some other games where I'm like, oh, I like this game up to a point. Like to get 20 hours of just pure bliss before you start to notice like, the oh, these are all of the monsters I'm ever going to face. Like like they didn't yeah. design enough enemies and all they did was change colors, you know, or like or like, oh, there's really not a story here. They they just want you to go rush Ganon's castle. You know, <laughs> when you start to figure those things out, that's weird. And, and that the, the dungeons are all like. Not the way we know Zelda Dungeons. I'm confident that Breath of the Wild 2 can polish all these things, but I'm not confident that at the end of the 2020s, 
Breath of the Wild 2 is going to be on my list of like top games because you don't know. Yeah, no, it's true, but at the same time, I feel like these games all get me on like an awe factor. Yeah. You know, and I feel like now I've been spoiled by it. That Breath of the Wild 2 is just going to be a more refined version of something mm-hmm. I already love, which is kind of like why I didn't put Soul Silver and Heart Gold on my list because like for me they're great games, but Silver and Gold were like yeah. already there, you know, and like they they took right. away like the the thrill of being like, "What? There's a whole nother <laughs> set of gyms and I can do all this other stuff." So that's that. And that is a, a very long Look into the (laughs) top five games of the 2010s. If you stick around for the post show, we're going to go over the trends of the 2010s and stuff like that. But I think now would be a great time to actually talk about Akari Warriors 2. We are going to talk about a vertical run-and-gun game where you have to destroy the enemy aliens as they enter the screen. Sounds pretty standard, right? But. Should be fun. But. It comes with an incredibly complicated story. You see, when we last saw Paul and Vince, they had saved the colonel and were about to head for home in a special plane given to them by the general. But then, while in flight over the ocean, the sky suddenly blackens, the ocean begins to churn, and the plane goes spinning. A booming voice fills the cockpit. Hear me, warriors. Zhang Zip, the war dog, has enslaved the people of Earth. Only you can save us from his grip of evil. Caught in a time warp, hurtled thousands of years into the future, Paul and Vince know they have no choice but to meet this impossible challenge head on. After all, they are professionals. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> they are the Akari Warriors. They said the name. Uh, and, and we've had some we've had some goofy stories and manuals before, but is this like the laziest story? I'd say maybe laziest, sure. Yeah, but yeah, oh, there have been more Oh, there's been more ridiculous. But this is yeah. like the laziest, like, oh, yeah, they were flying away and then <sighs> someone attacked and they got to go fight now. This is, yeah, this is clearly just trying to get like an aliens thing going right. on because yeah. that movie is like taken off and now it's like cool let's let's make a game where you, <laughs> yeah. just- you see the aliens influences in this game i, can- <laughs> I, I just think like you know like just just the just idea the of idea like aliens a, yeah of like, of any like, kind of alien yeah, yeah. Okay. marines <laughs> taking down aliens sure. too like i know. won't i won't lie halfway through playing this game I stopped and checked to make sure I was playing the right game. <laughs> Just thinking back to the original Akari Warriors, I was like, this can't be the sequel. Think about the way this game starts. There's no intro whatsoever. There's nothing about this, like, you know, plain... There is an intro. Yes, and it is horrible. You have to wait. Oh, okay, okay. That's good to know, because I was going to say, Akari Warriors 1 has an intro. You know, like, even that one has, like, the... They actually did, like, some aspect ratio thing for it, too, to yeah. make it look like it was a movie. Yeah. And the plane, like, crashes in the jungle, and then you have to, like... Start the game. So, please, now that you've seen the intro, what happens in it? It's more or less what you just described, but with three uh, semi-moving pains. Uh, but is it clear if you didn't read the manual, would that have cleared it up and like, I think I'm going into the future right now. Is that, is it, that made clear? There, there's obviously some supernatural thing happening to the plane. Uh, and then there's some guy talking to you, and then you start playing the game. Like it, you could piece to, piece it together, like you could watching like a foreign film and not really knowing the the actual plot, but at least getting the gist of it. You know Got what it. I mean? Yes. Yeah. You're missing a big detail about this this intro too. Is that it has the worst text crawl speed of anything I've ever seen before. It it it's, is it's almost like more than a second per letter yeah. that has to appear. <laughs> and you know why? You know why? It's because it's Moore's code. 
The beeps that are, I'm not oh kidding, the God, beeps that are know. appearing are Morse code. <laughs> like, so it just plays Morse code of the whole story it's telling you. It's four <laughs> minutes long. <laughs> but you have the option to hit, like, You do, enter, you right? can stop it. I Maybe that's why know. they didn't make it, like, automatic, like, that, that, that you should start with that. Because as anybody who's ever played Akario Warriors 2, Victory Road will tell you, uh, you will die very quickly the first time you ever boot up this game because I would describe the controls of this game fever dream levels of failure, <laughs> you know? And what I mean by that is when you're in a dream and all of a sudden you have to punch something. Flip a and, light. Yeah, flip a light switch. Anything, actually. Not even just combat in this game. Just when you're trying to do anything in this game, including walking. I just feel like you have very little control over what is going on. And I think that this game shocked me the first time I played it because I I started, I died very quickly, I started again, I died about the same rate. I didn't learn a damn thing from the first time because you really just can't target anything that's coming yeah. at you i found it was, so what was interesting about it is it, i appreciate that it tried to kind of fix a problem with the original yes. where it allowed you to strafe so you don't you, you don't have to turn when you when you when you want to go left and turn when you want to go right the strafing you hold the fire button to strafe which just makes it like almost they created the opposite problem yeah. now it's really really difficult to turn and things come up on your on your sides it so i had completely forgotten Almost all of my gameplay experience from Ikari Warriors when I played. You didn't go back. Then I then I went back okay, after okay. after like you know the first five minutes of playing this game. I'm like I need to see what I'm even working with here. Like what should I have remembered of how to play this game? And yeah, I did realize that oh, okay that they've added this new control feature that allows you to mimic the arcade game a little bit better, but at what cost? <laughs> like, yeah, the. Even if you're not trying to fire, if you're just trying to turn around, your character makes like a semicircle. Just, yeah, just it doesn't doing, pivot on the spot. It doesn't pivot on the spot. It's like this really weird mix of sludgy mechanics that creates this terrible experience. Um, when and, I played, yeah, yeah, when I played Akari Warriors Two, I said, "Hold on a minute!" Like I, I must have died like six times in a minute. I said, "Hold on a minute." <laughs> Uh, Akari Warriors 1 wasn't this bad, right? And I went back and played it, and I was like, okay, no, no, I remember this now. This is yeah. this is kind of normal. And then, and then, sure enough, I was like, nah, man, we just, we've come a long way in the NES since, like, <laughs> like when this, when that game came out, Akari Warriors might have been, like, episode 25. I don't, I don't even like know. That, it was yeah. early, you know? When that game came out, we were like, it, you know what? Something new. It's cool. It's fun. I like, still hated it. Right? Yeah. It was better than <laughs> yeah. Commando. Sure. I think we said that a little Some for some reason. Um, <laughs> wow. This game is like, uh, both games now yeah. to me are just like, oh, trash these NES games. Uh, I'll like, say, I, I remember I remember liking it a lot when we first played it, when it was early. And when I went back uh, the other day when I was playing this, I went back and played the original it was not anywhere near as good as I remember. It was not great. I would probably amend the fact that, like, I'll probably have to amend where it is on my overall list of games we've played. But I do think it is head and shoulders better than Akari Warriors 2. I don't know if you guys agree. but I agree. I can still at least enjoy that game. Akari Warriors 2 is, is just a step in, in the wrong yeah. direction in so many ways, too. Nobody asked for these same characters to go to space. You know, like, just make a space game. <laughs> And then I started actually thinking about it, though, too, with the alien motif behind it. And I was like, 
These are essentially these kinds of games. These vertical run, running gun games are like Space Invaders, but you can move. Sure. Right? Like enemies are just coming down, yeah. and then you just but, have to shoot them before they touch you. But that's the other thing about the first game is that. It doesn't just feel like you're just walking in a straight line because there are little there's a lake and there's a bridge and there's you you're going left and right and this feels like it's trying to do this weird like Legend of Zelda thing where you like go into a dungeon and you're like I, I don't know it feels like they're trying to do it but you're still going just in a straight barely. line there's nothing yeah. I, I would say it's barely trying to do that like there yeah. are different areas where you can like there are breakable walls and you go different routes, but the the be- the path of least resistance is yeah. always the best way to right. go. And there, yeah. there is eventually a lake. Yeah, just a, just as <laughs> there, right. like, yeah. there yeah. is hope. It's but a purple I, but lake. I, just, I, I guess I just mean that the the environments are more immersive in the first game. Right. Whereas in this, I'm like, okay, I'm in the gray environment now. Yeah. I'm in the you know, it's just all right. I'm, I, in I'm in the white with black, of the ooze. You know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> ooze. And yeah. there's um. Oh, there was something else. I was well, the, it's funny because the the arcade version of Akari Warriors Two, yeah, has a eight way rotary joystick, yeah. uh, which definitely which was the, like that was what it was for Akari Warriors One as right. well. But I just think like again, if you're going to port something to the NES, you have to at least think about like the control restraints now that you're playing with a four directional D pad and yes. the way that they handle like shooting diagonally and stuff like like it it's not opportune compared to the amount of enemies the speed no. of the enemies mm-hmm. like it's we, obviously something that they thought about otherwise they like it is a if you're just looking at it on paper it is a sort of elegant solution to this problem but in execution yeah it, there are too many th- things on screen and there aren't really that many ever at one point, but I don't even, think you could handle it. I think yeah. that's why. Yeah. And, but like, even the few that are on screen at once while you're playing this game are too many for you to handle. Usually, uh, at the rate that you pivot, at the rate that it it notices that you're trying to lock a position and then move instead of pivot some more, um, and the just the rate at which you move, like running gun, like this is a like trudging gun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That sounds very yeah. appropriate. And, and there are there are fewer enemies in this. I keep comparing it to the original because yeah. that's all I have. But there are fewer enemies in this, I feel like, than the original. But it also just is so much more frustratingly difficult to kill all these enemies because even when there are no enemies on the screen, you're just you're just slogging through the world. Whereas in the original, you're at least, even though it is frustrating as well, you're at least like it's a little bit like you feel like you're in the action. There's people coming in, in directions, yeah. and you feel like you can do something about it. You can get in a vehicle, and you can do things like that. And this, I'm just like, you have to shoot through the walls to get through. <laughs> and like, why? There's no point to that. Yeah, and, and, and just speaking of the enemies, since we're on it, like the designs are awful. The enemy, the enemy designs <laughs> yeah. are, are just like take it or leave it. What any of these things are, they're all like bugs of some kind, <laughs> large and, green bugs, right? And I'm just not into it. It's it's not. Um, it's more like to me they just look like mushes coming at me that yeah, I'm just like yeah. okay that's the one that like is on four legs that's the one that looks like a cactus that's you know like these yeah. things bother me about how <laughs> how frustratingly like boring yeah, all of this space in the future is you know yeah and visually I mean even if they were very creative character designs like visually the game is so unclear I really can't tell where one thing ends and the other begins if there are like two enemies next to each other it I they they yeah they're just splotches of color.
Now, to be fair, in Akari Warriors 1, I don't think you ever got the chance to wield a sword. True. Right? No. And now in Akari Warriors 2, <laughs> you finally get that opportunity to take a sword. That was to, my biggest to a gunfight. Yeah, right, yeah. right. To, yeah, to exactly, <laughs> yeah, to, I, I don't understand it, but basically you have the choice of the sword, the machine gun, uh, the bazooka. Those are like your, your main shooting weapons. And they, they try to list like disadvantages for each of them in the <laughs> manual. And it's like, the machine gun disadvantage does not destroy some enemies. And it's like, yeah, that that sounds like a disadvantage. But then bazooka cannot fire repeatedly. It's like, all right, just my my favorite is I think on the the grenade, and I just imagine that like it's U.S. GI spec grenades, and they all have this stamped on the side of them. Like, if you throw this in the wrong direction, <laughs> you may not have a good time. <laughs> <laughs> well, my favorite was the was the boomerang, which I thought was the best weapon. And the disadvantage yes. was it might take a little getting used to. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> disadvantage. But by the way, the the boomerang is the only weapon to one hundred percent, unless you're fighting a boss or something. No, I agree completely. Uh, there's also some power up items in this one, uh, which I think Akari Warriors might have had some, but this definitely gives you more because you have uh, you have a whole other thing that we'll get into in the sub screen of. There's a lot more things to control <laughs> in in this one. So just some that I wanted to talk about is I like arrow power. Because it says you can use this power only once, but it means like just once upon pickup. Yeah. Like it sounds like you can only <laughs> yeah. use this power once in the whole game. Like there's only one moment where anybody <laughs> would ever want to use arrow power, and it's and you'll know when, but it's not now. It just means you just get one. Uh, what does it do? Because the one time I threw it, it missed. It's just, no, it's kind of like a one hit KO kind of thing uh, for like bosses too and stuff like oh. that. So yeah, maybe I should have. Save that. Well, maybe, but like, how would you know? And also, what are you gonna do? Not you, not shoot. Like, you're right, you're right. So it's like whatever. You know, all these things also don't appear to be like programmed to appear like at appropriate times, right? They're just kind of like littering the screen. Yeah, you know. So it's not like arrow power was like strategically placed. I, yeah, usually they're. Um, before I get into what I think we're going to get into, which is like the shop mechanic, but mm. I just want to go back to the boomerang. One more time. Yep. And I don't know if it's just broken code or if they were trying to simulate something, but when I was shooting the boomerang, it seems that I could clear a full third of the screen without actually hitting an enemy. It, it was just like, like... the hitbox is too large? The, the hitbox was a third of the screen, <laughs> whereas the, the sprite was maybe... Like, 30 pixels wide or something like that. Did you have the same experience, Jeff? Yeah, something like that. I, I felt like sometimes I would just be aiming forward and the boomerang would just would just magnetize to whoever I... See, I didn't yeah. even see it. I didn't see the, the boomerang hit anything. It just would evaporate them next yeah. to it. I just thought I was really good at the game. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I felt the same. I felt like the same thing. I was like, never sure. Like, I guess the boomerang is killing these things. Yeah. I'm just never sure what's actually happening. And it's fine when something like that is reserved to, like, a thunder power thing where it just zaps right. all the enemies off the screen. Like, that. that's okay. It's a, it's another thing when, like, an an item that you can just repeatedly use, like, yeah. takes up half the screen. It's like, why even bother exactly. like, switching and, and stuff? But you do have the option to switch and buy things and and uh, collect money in this game because there's also the bar shop, yeah. which... Uh, was exclusively, I think, added for the NES version. It wasn't in the arcade game, 
Just trying and, to jump on that RPG thing that's been going on recently. Yeah, and I, I don't know. <laughs> it just feels like it's completely not needed in this in this like clear arcade style game. I, I'm not trying to like you know like like just keep it to high score. Even though I always say I don't care about that. <laughs> like this is one of those elements where it's finally like I'm like I don't know what do I need. Yeah, to, to take well, on the I, next I think thing. that's that that's for me. That was like a matter of I was excited when I saw it, and then it was just I thought it was a cool thing. It would be great. To, to have, and then it was just implemented into a really poor game. I think it's the way that the control. I think like, it's the way that you control, though, in this game because we saw this in Gun Dot Smoke, a, a similar like you can buy items, but but I felt like in that one I knew what I needed to get done for like a particular situation or level. In this one, it's like you have no idea what's coming next, and yeah. so it's like just I don't know. Give me, uh, you know. Uh, but I'll, I'll take the boomerang, I guess. You know, like like what else could I? What else could I really want out out of what they're selling? And right. stuff the like the whole uh, every what, what this is replacing is just drops, and that already this game already has drops where you just run and pick something up. Uh, but this is sort of like this is sort of like having you're playing Time Crisis, and in, instead of like reloading you have to play this weird mini game where you talk to somebody about how to reload and then you go back into the action <laughs> like it, it's just completely unnecessary for the genre of the game it, it's just completely tacked on uh i like the like the art of these weird creatures in a bar but that's the only yeah. thing about I, yeah it. for the shop element i do agree that yeah. weird and I, I i guess i was referring more to the um just the element of having like customizable or having like different oh, items or whatever. The entire can, like, inventory the, system. Yeah, exactly. I see. And then there's the um the subscreen, uh yeah. which is just the uh UI of like hidden behind the select button. But I'm actually gonna say that this is maybe the only thing I was like, oh good job because yeah. it feels like a very efficiently like yeah. designed thing to see everything that you yeah. Would need to the see. screen itself, right? But the yeah, screen itself. When you when you use anything that's on the screen, like half the time it's like I didn't need that, right? But it actually feels yeah. like every piece of information yeah. is communicated right. on yeah. that screen, and it was so. it was easy to kind of get between the different uh, segments that you need. Like, oh, here's your weapon, a, your A weapons, and your B weapons, and your items. They had a right. very good menu designer. Yeah. Yes, and it's just funny because I great could game. See, <laughs> I, I could know because I, I could see them actually making the mistake of like. Specific some items go up by your character, and other yeah. items go in the item box. And like the weapons for player one are on player two's column. You know, like <laughs> yeah. you can see those things happening because the rest of this game is so sloppy that it's amazing I that know. they managed to yeah. make something that was easily digestible. I think that the men the manual actually like over explains <laughs> what you need to use the subscreen, but doesn't quite flesh out like power up yeah. items and weapons and stuff like that. What they should have done, uh, since everything in this game seems to be like an extraneous feature, is add like some R Resident Evil Four style uh, inventory management, where you have to like each item is different size and you have to like rotate them and stuff. Like I think that would be really cool if we're gonna have like a shop. Sure, we also <laughs> didn't have. Did, did we have an ammo thing here? Like uh, no. No, no, I think ammo. ammo was unlimited, right? Yeah. So there, that would have been like a good reason to have a shop too. If yeah. you have to buy ammo, but. You know, I guess they weren't counting on people being able to uh, hit things when they need to because <laughs> I certainly couldn't. Uh, all right. I think that's everything I wanted to talk about the gameplay of this game. Does anybody have any straight thoughts? I was a little – I mean, not that I could be more disappointed by anything because I didn't really like my baseline experience. But the the bosses were all the same except for the last one. 
and and they're all different than the arcade equivalents. Yeah, the arcade balls look pretty good actually. And, and it was it was basically just like here's a here's a, uh, a a spider of some kind, I guess, or a scorpion, and then here's a scorpion with no arms, and here's a scorpion with longer arms, and and then there's the main antagonist's brother at the very end. Like, well, I don't really understand what went into the boss design of this game. Did you did you get to the final boss? No. Did you? I I didn't get to the final boss. I, I think it's like level three, and then I watched a video of the final yeah. boss. I, I I did get to the final boss, and it was just the most. It was more frustrating than the than the rest of the game because it was just adding on every frustration at once. Got it. It was just like here's everything the game has to offer all at once. <laughs> yeah. To you. Yeah. And, and apparently, uh, do you, can you describe the final boss? Because apparently, the final boss. I watched the arcade version, and I thought like, oh, that's really cool. It's like this green monster with tentacles and flies around the screen and stuff like that. But in my like mind's that? eye, it's a like it, it's sort of like a a scary teddy bear. Okay, um, that sounds a lot different than what I've described to you. <laughs> and he comes in. And he's just like. Hey, uh, I'm Zang Zip's brother. He's a weird dude. And then he starts fighting you, and it's, and I didn't beat him. But yeah, again, watching a video, as soon as he dies, it just says end. Right, yeah, <laughs> so yeah, it doesn't yeah, even yeah, say yeah. end. It just goes to the credits. Credits and right. then end. But oh, not as okay. abrupt as some of our other yeah. games, at least. They did give you, like, the, like, at least, like, a song or something. But like, you don't even beat the, the guy, the, the yeah, named yeah. main antagonist, Zang Zip or Zong Zorn. Like, you don't fight him, you fight his brother. <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's really weird. What was the, de- I didn't even I think know. of that. What was the decision? I have no that? idea. Yeah. Uh, I I have no opinion on that because I didn't get that far, so I, I don't really know what to tell you. But and also speaking of the other bosses, um, there's the the scorpion guy you're talking about. His arms extend out to like a certain point on the screen, yeah, you and you just don't. It. If you just don't pass a certain line, you cannot get hit, <laughs> and you have a projectile weapon. <laughs> you just can't lose that battle. Sounds great. Uh, that happens three times. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, there's also some connective tissue here that everybody needs to understand that I withheld purposefully at the beginning of the show. Usually I talk about the developer at the very beginning of the show because I think that that's important to get like a, a mindset for the history. But we've talked about this developer enough that I didn't think I needed to bring up their name until now because now everybody can understand why this game is such garbage. This is a Micronics game, okay? The same people that brought us 1942, Ikari Warriors 1, Athena, Elevator Action, and uh, what is it very re- oh Tiger Heli that one was okay not not great I kind of remember enjoying yeah. that Ghosts and Goblins okay. okay yeah not yeah and Super Pitfall it get one of the worst <laughs> NES games we've ever played uh, where you're so delicate that you can't even like can't jump even down jump. A, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah Micronics not really bringing it home and SNK who's the publisher and the developer of the arcade version of the game, really letting the ball drop here on, uh, uh, on like, continuing to trust Micronics. This is a problem that developers even today still have, a, uh, still c- commit the sin of, like, trusting their ports to subpar companies. At, but to do it over and over, <laughs> like this, like this right, company is, right. is well, insane. Unless I'm mistaken, the next time we see SNK will be for Iron Tank: The Invasion of Normandy, wow. and that's 
uh, episode 109. I almost said issue. That's episode 109. <laughs> and apparently in that one, they're going to write that wrong and develop the game themselves. Oh. So we'll have to take a look at that and see if they learned anything from... Yeah. Or if they're just a better game, because that would say a lot, too. Because they are making the actual arcade versions of these games that are that are getting a lot of love. Yeah. Right? Like, no one, no one actually hates the original Akari Warriors, the arcade version, as far as I understand. It was actually, like, a pretty big hit. Uh, but obviously, the NES version must have sold well, too, if they were like, yep, release the second <laughs> one. tell you about the ending to the arcade version. After you defeat that giant monster at the end that's totally awesome and way better than this uh, like sand shrew you're describing uh, he uh, it comes up on screen with text that says you have fighted well to the last stage. Thanks. All devils have gone to the world where they should stay. The world? All devils have gone to the world where they should stay. Great. I think that's okay. a, uh, you know, I, yeah. it's something. I, I prefer to read it. It was as, written by AI. Yeah, why couldn't they have put <laughs> that text in the NES version? I prefer to read it as all devils have gone to the world where they should stay. So instead of up here in space, they've <laughs> gone down to your shitty planet. Yeah. Right, right. And they should <laughs> yeah, stay there. They should stay there. Yeah. And then real fast, I'm going to show these guys uh, the arcade intro because it's a little more involved than the intro for the um, NES game, but then I'll play the audio from it, because this is a really ridiculous start to a game, and I think, like, if, if anybody ever wanted to be intimidated by a boss that doesn't wind up being the actual final boss, that uh, that guy we were talking about, yeah. this is this is a great way to see that happen. Warriors, show some guts! You can't escape me! Come get me if you can! <laughs> and so yeah it's just a series of taunts and then like the most obnoxious laugh ever and uh you do wind up gunning him down i guess in the arcade version of the game i don't know if you actually consider killing him but i just think that's crazy right yeah, it's like, aggressive you just see yeah. your face <laughs> i don't i can't think of too many other like arcade games where like an enemy is just like about you like that <laughs> he's adding you so hard <laughs> yeah 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 uh, yeah, he needs a Twitter account, is what he needs. <laughs> Last but not least, we do have one more Akari Warriors game to get through, and that is Akari 3, The Rescue. Um, which what episode worth, was that? Yeah, it's a long time from now. It's worth noting that um, Akari Warriors 2 is sometimes just called Victory Road. Yes. And uh, this one is never just called The Rescue. It's always called Akari 3, The Rescue. And it's coming to the arcade, the NES, the Commodore 64, eventually the PC, and then got like a re-release as part of a collection on the PSP with all the other ones too. 
the Akari 3 The Rescue quick synopsis for those looking forward to it. It's the end of the 20th century. A worldwide economic recession wrecks havoc (laughs) with the nation and the planet. The impending threat of anarchy has given rise to a secret vice organization called Crime Ghost. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds very contemporary. So did they come, did they get sent back in time? They must be getting sent back to go to, uh, Crime Ghost. To go to, because now it's the end of the 20th century (laughs) and there's a recession, which I guess is like the dot com bubble that they don't know is about to happen to them. And um, I love that now a secret vice organization called Crime Ghost is uh, trying to. That screw is an awesome up. name. Well, I think we should go right into the essential games list. And since it's been a hot minute since we heard from uh, Sam, I'm just going to start with his vote. This game is a step up from the first Akari Warriors NES port. Interesting. All right, well, we'll just stop it there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it's more of a half step. Half step. There was more content added, but its implementation left a lot to be desired. The core game was boring and way too slow. And what's with those statues that shoot bombs at you at the start of each level? <laughs> Screw those guys. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> Not yeah. essential. I, I agree with you, Sam. Joe, do you disagree? I, I I don't have that much more to say other than what has been said in this episode, so I'll make it short. Um, I don't think this is essential. I think this game was frustrating. I see where Sam's coming from, but I, I don't agree that it's a step up in any way. But um, but I do agree that it's not essential. There was my circular talk. There. Great, you didn't yeah, go you did, anywhere with that. You did an incredible job making it short. Yes. You're making it shorter <laughs> yes. as we speak. Yeah, perfect. Uh, okay, Sean, what do you got? This game is a hot mess, and yeah, it's yeah. almost beautiful, but it's inessential. And for me, uh, this game uh, stacks up with <laughs> legends like. Stack up, <laughs> Karate Champ, Tag Team Wrestling, Deadly Towers. Oh yeah, the, 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 that's where that's, that's the, the closest, echelon. I think. Yeah, yeah, that's like the echelon of games that we're getting at when we refer to Akari Warriors Two Victory Road. I could not believe that uh, some something something as franchisable as Akari Warriors was this bad. Then you know, like like this is not good compared to the other NES games of the time. And so it shouldn't forget about the essential games list. We need to start like a garbage <laughs> list where we have like just the worst of the, the trash worst. heap. Yeah, and I think those those ones would be on there. This winter games would be another one, <laughs> um, but stack up will always be the worst. Uh, Agreed, because it's shameless. Uh, <laughs> that is all the time we have for this episode of Nostalgia. But join us in the post show if you want to hear more stuff about the 2010s. I'm Michael Esposito. You can join me on uh, Twitter. You can join me. <laughs> uh, yep. You can play the games, too, if you want, but not on Twitter. Uh, I don't think there's any emulators on Twitter. Uh, tweet-based and, emulation. Yeah, tweet-based emulation is something we should all be working on. Tell you what, uh, just send a bunch of zeros and ones at me <laughs> with the code for Super Mario Brothers, and I'm sure we can find a way to inject it directly to the website. I'm Michael Esposito. You can find me on at Esposito Film on Twitter, and I'll talk to you soon.
And now that we're just kind of casual and we can say whatever we want again and talk about 2010s, wasn't that nice? Talk oh. about modern video games for a second. Thanks yeah. for joining us. If you want to hear more about our thoughts about modern video games, and uh, we're not about to start a podcast uh, <laughs> where we focus on like no, uh, yeah, everything. Mods, there's enough of that. Yeah, there's there's more than enough of that. There's plenty of ways for you guys to find that coverage. But we thought this would be a fun time to get like our opinions on what's happening now in gaming. So. With that in mind, we talked about our top five games of the 2010s, but just give me one. What is your biggest disappointment of the 2010s in video gaming, not in your own life? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot to pick from uh, in, in just like the the direction that this industry is going in some regard. Uh, but for me personally, my biggest disappointment of the 2010s was the fate of Silent Hills. I feel like because we got PT, PT was one of those games that I was I was going to put a demo on my top of the decade list uh, because PT was one of the finest horror experiences in media, I think, like going back to like Silent Hill 2. So that's how much I loved PT and I could not wait until Silent Hills came out. And then it was ripped from me and millions of others by the evil Konami Corporation and that whole situation with Hideo Kojima. Like, yeah, that that was bad. But if they, they took Silent Hills from me. So that's my biggest disappointment. Will, will you um, consider that in your voting for the essential games list when we're talking about Konami games? Will I you don't. Hold, yes. Okay. I, I, I will never consider... Uh, it's a different Konami. It, it's that. I mean, like, who's there? Who who was there that was there today? I don't. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe don't know. many people, but yeah. they had a different. They had a different philosophy, definitely back yes. then. Yes. Uh, now they're definitely more focused on pachinko machines and. In, uh, indeed, it's yeah. sad. Uh, okay, Joe. Remember when I mentioned how Birth by Sleep of Kingdom Hearts was at the saturation of complexity for the Kingdom Hearts series? I, I love the complex story, but I do think. That Kingdom Hearts 3, the game I've been waiting for since like 2006 or whatever, um, is where it just came crashing down. Like they just had that 100% my biggest disappointment of, of the decade. Maybe in video gaming. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't have as many, that many huge disappointments in, in games, but, um, but I, they, they retconned weird things. They've just brought characters back because people like them and it, and it did weird things to the story. And even, at first, I really liked the gameplay until I realized that I feel like the game is just remarkably easy compared to other games, uh, other Kingdom Hearts games. And but you I have just, not played the critical mode. I haven't played the critical mode yet. Uh, so, okay, maybe that, that'll change. Well, yeah, but, and you haven't paid $30 yet for the privilege <laughs> yeah, to right, play to the Remind yes, DLC. Right. Um, so, yeah, maybe the Remind DLC will do some spectacular maybe thing. Maybe it but will the, remind you yeah, of what you what love, love about, about Kingdom, Kingdom Hearts, Hearts Birth by Sleep. But, yeah, that was 100% biggest disappointment, especially because Kingdom Hearts 1 and 2 are, like, two of my favorite games ever. And my biggest disappointment, uh, I think some of them were about to be, like, we're focusing on a video game specifically because yeah. I was kind of bleeding into, like, trends for a second. But I think we'll just talk about that after this. My biggest disappointment, even though I joined it late and was totally aware that it was going to happen, I still was not prepared for the ending of Mass Effect 3. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I heard so many things. I said, I'm sure that, like, even though it sucks that I won't be able to, like, 
fully choose my ending based on like all the amazing decisions I made. I'm sure that the like actual ending will still pay off and reward all these characters. <laughs> and wow. What a mess. I you know, I'm with you in terms of like yeah, that was a disappointing moment. That was a disappointing moment in my video game career. <laughs> um but I was able to forgive it a little bit just because the journey was so it, it felt so good. Like it was the, the friends you made along the way. So that's why I could deal with it a lot more in a much more healthy way than a lot of people on the internet. <laughs> sure. I think, I think for me specifically, the reason why it's such a disappointment though is because I was having such a great ride. And I agree that the ride was definitely worth it, but the ending actually made me think like, what was the point? And why would I ever play any of them again? I haven't touched them since the ending of Mass Effect 3. I didn't look at Andromeda at all. I was like, I could care less. And it turned out to be shit, but like, yeah. I could care less about it. I, it completely killed a franchise for me. A franchise that was selling millions and millions of copies of a game. And its ending actually, like, its ending of its trilogy, like, screwed up that badly. Like, even no Star Wars ending trilogy yet. <laughs> uh, actually, the movie would be out right by the time yeah, they record. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. We'll um, see. Yeah, we're like a week away yeah. from the release of um, Rise of the Skywalker, so we'll, we'll see what happens. But like, no ending of any Star Wars trilogy yet has like talked me out of not seeing that franchise. Well, it's again. also it's it's acting on a on a different baseline. Like you're not you you aren't making these decisions that you think you're going to see come to fruition in the final moments of the but final still, game. And I understand that, but I, in Star Wars, but yeah. I'm saying, like, I still wasn't even okay with the story that they chose to tell yeah. against my own will. No, like, no. It was, it's a little... The whole Crucible thing was sort of goofy, and yeah. the fact that it's... And also the elusive man just becoming who he I was know. was a disappointment. Like, the the only way that I could cope with this, with this entire thing was just to headcanon the whole thing away. That's like, a good idea. Like yeah. I have my indoctrination. Own, yeah, the yeah. indoctrination theory. I'm just going to stick by that. This is like when we talked about you Dragon fucking Ball Z. people have your Jar Jar Binks as a is the emperor sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, so, Sith Lord, yeah, whatever yeah. Sith, yeah. Sith Lord. So you can have that. I'll have the indoctrination theory. Right. All right. So to to bring Joe back into the conversation, <laughs> let's, let's talk about some trends of the 2010s. I'm going to list off a few, and we can just talk about them. Uh, the first one I want to talk about is microtransactions. Yes, that was love them. Right, right up there. Like it's it was a slow <laughs> death. It was a um. It sort of creeped up on us. Yeah, <laughs> people saw it like at the very beginning. Like at least in my opinion. Like I still consider expansion packs an entirely different situation, um, because you bought a full game first, yes. and a something half priced just adds more to it. Um, but the horse armor was the first. I, that's what I was what just was, about to say. Was I was going to say that was, Scott, that was uh, Oblivion. Actually. Oblivion, oh. really? Okay, okay. Because that's what I was going to say. That's the yeah. first thing I remember of like ever hearing about it, and it's like for me. Not a big deal because it was just armor exactly. for a horse. It was like cosmetic. It yeah. was. It was a it funny was like, joke. If you yeah, yeah. yeah, if you want to buy that, go for it. I don't need that. It it, it bleeds into. It's it's it probably starts like it kicks it off. It right. Gives everyone it unfortunately else the continues to roll. Yeah. And exactly, it, and it go, it gets to the point where now you you can't play an entire game until you you, you get nickeled and dimed. Uh, it turned into full blown addictions for people in the mobile market. And even in some, like, in the AAA console-based and PC gaming, like, between, uh, uh, m most of it is still cosmetic. Yeah. 
But it's just... But most of the biggest games, too, not yeah. only have microtransactions, but if you think about, like, even games that we don't necessarily play, like FIFA, right? Like, oh, yeah. That whole thing is, My- like, a microtransaction game yeah. uh, if you're not playing... If you're playing with yeah. the... Um, the card system, yeah, game, you well, know, like, and we were just Ultimate talking about Team. Star Wars. Yeah. That's another EA. I mean, they're, they're Battlefront like, really, people, yeah, yeah, like Battle, hurt them on that. Yeah, yeah. and, and I, ju- I just kind of came off of finishing Jedi Fallen Order, and before that came out, I know that they had, you know, EA and uh, Respawn are doing it, but they they had come out and said like there will be no microtransactions, and people just didn't believe them no, like, yeah. because yeah. Of the, because they're just like they're gonna find a way, they're gonna find because they they put all these microtransactions in their games. Uh, thankfully, there weren't, but that's how like and big of a problem. Yes, yeah, it, it it even corrupted what was at one point my one of my favorite developers, being Bethesda, and it corrupted them. They made seventy six. Uh, they locked off uh a, like an entire like tier to people that are now paying a monthly fee to a game that was at once pay for it once and now it's yours. Like right, it's yeah. sad. So microtransactions are are definitely hurting. Uh, you mentioned uh, that microtransactions are their worst in mobile gaming, probably, but mobile gaming also took off at a whole different rate than like Nintendo had ever anticipated. Yeah. Because now mobile gaming on your iPhone and Android devices is actually like. It's the market. It's the market. Yeah. yeah. And, and granted, it's not as exaggerated as everybody like thinks it is with, with scale. Like, yes, everybody has a cell phone, so the, the, it's definitely bigger, but it's not like it's destroying. I think research has actually shown that like it's not actually destroying console gaming. It's getting people into gaming as a whole. So whether it's like destroying it, it's definitely now the leading market. It is the leading game. market. I would say, though, that while it hasn't, you know, it hasn't made it uh, financially impractical for people to still focus on making console games, that, that'll never happen. But it, the philosophies that go into making a mobile game have, to its detriment, affected like mainline PC and console gaming to like it, up to microtransactions and the the sort of ways that you play uh, these games. Like, it, I think it has negatively affected the experience. Like, just the idea of a single player uh, a single player game itself is now becoming more rare. Right. Right. Uh, and, and I think an, another thing uh, to bring up with the mobile gaming, too, is like you don't see Candy Crush Saga on anyone's best of the 2010s, whereas like that game maybe has more players than any <laughs> game in the world. Right. Like, yeah. like think about how many people you just see on the subway just like who don't even think of themselves as obsessed with the game. But they've definitely like, you know, it's just like, oh, I'm just using it to pass time. But it's like, but how long have you been passing (laughs) time with it? You know, I think that's kind of crazy that that happens. But you also for a long time in this mobile gaming blow up, you didn't see anything um, that like that like competed with with console gaming on like a scale of like, that's a great game. And it's only available on mobile. Like you're just kind of starting to see that now with like the Apple Arcade Mm -hmm. and and a few uh I would say that like my favorite mobile only game. I think it is now on PC, uh, but many years later, my favorite was Eighty Days. Yeah. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. And games like that, which sort of that they that they use the small time uh, that you usually will spend on a mobile game to its advantage, and you can just keep going back to it at little points. There's there's something about mobile games, and just for me personally, the way I see them is not even they don't even feel to me in the same category as uh, game console games. Yeah, like they they just seem like a totally different animal. So like it, it's weird to me that they are like kind of 
that there that there are instances of them like stepping on each other in, in some way. Yeah, I think mo- mobile games really like like, and they don't have to do this because they're clearly making enough money. But a, a a true impact in mobile gaming is something like what Pokemon Go did, where it's like anybody can like. Be like, hey, what are you guys doing? And like, oh, I have that device. It's a cell phone. Like, I have that too. I can yeah. play it. And like, just that idea of like, you could play with anybody because you don't always find people who have like an Xbox plus $60 to spare to get the newest game to play it alongside you. Whereas on mobile gaming, it's like, all you need to do is just have a internet connection and be yeah. able to download it from the app store, you know? So I think, uh, you know, if we want to forecast a little bit, do you see mobile gaming growing in the right or wrong direction as we enter the 2020s i guess it depends on what you mean by right and wrong i get yeah i guess i guess what i mean is like more towards traditional gaming or will we continue to see just like blatant theft of people's money you know like, i think like, we're going to continue to see that got it that nothing uh, i i know that there are some european nations that have classified many of the negative things in mobile games as you know gambling and being regulated and sometimes even banned um, but I think as long as the United States sort of has like that last laissez-faire, uh, philosophy going forward, uh, this is going to continue. There's going to be people that spend thousands of dollars on these games. Uh, and if it works, it works. Right. And I, I think it was Norway was one of those countries that said like, yeah, you maybe. can't have those, those things. And even Nintendo said like, well, we don't care them. We'll just pull out of your country. Exactly. You can't even download the game in that country. Yeah. Like, they'd rather not adjust and make it free for them. They'd just be like, nope. And it kind of goes hand in hand. We didn't even mention it. And I'm hoping that it's a blip, uh, like a three or four year long blip. But the whole Battle Royale thing is is so far just for the, uh, just in this decade. Um, well, we should talk about that trend. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because that's so far. Yeah, you're right. It is just in this decade. Uh, there was a, I want to say it was 2017 Yeah, was the year where all of a sudden every game, every AAA game too, needed like, what's your battle royale mode? Uh, well, it was when we, it was around the time we started this podcast, wasn't it? Yeah, probably. Because, because I think we were joking Because I was about, talking about Duck Hunt and I would rather play that than Fortnite. <laughs> right. So it was maybe a little earlier than that because yeah. it was, no, I think, Fortnite was yeah, the second one, right? I think you're right. Uh, yeah. but yeah, yeah. I mean, like, there's, you know, there's so many, especially at that point in time, where like even every battlefield in Call of Duty needed like a battle yeah. royale moment for it. And it's, it seems like, Maybe a a result of Fortnite just being such like a like a leader and yeah, like and like it, winning it. It, just it like, has that whole that has the mobile market like we mentioned. It has the uh, the microtransactions of cosmetic items. Uh, it it's it's basically this decade personified with all of its warts. Yeah, mm-hmm. but also I think uh, you know it, it helped stop so many like new games becoming battle royale because they realized like. Well, this game's just going to keep doing this and putting out like they're on like season ten somehow. Even like though, that, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like, it's cornered like it, the yeah, market kind right. of for it. Just cornered that market, whereas you don't see like somebody be like, "Well, everybody's playing Resident Evil, so let's not make horror games." You know, like, like they <laughs> yeah. just figured it out, and no one's going to come to our right. game. Whereas like Fortnite is just a continuous. Yeah, thing. It's, it's almost a, like it's just like it's like not even. Fortnite, it's like it's a sport. It's like it's just a thing I mean, you do. It is. It yeah. is a sport. Yeah, yeah. and it, they you win millions of dollars on right. it if you're one of the best. I mean, it's got everybody jumped in, uh, and I yeah. I mean, I think it's starting to to fade. I'm hoping yeah. it's starting to fade in terms of at least like being the sole subject of the video gaming zeitgeist or whatever you want to put it. But 
Like, EA's got their Apex Legends. Even Bethesda tried to turn 76 into a Battle Royale, kind of. Like, I don't know which way we're going, but I feel like it's starting to fade because, you know, everybody got their toe in the water and they saw if they could make a buck on it. And I I think only the leaders are going to stay. Yeah, but, I think that makes sense. But you mentioned, uh, you know, that that fear of multiplayer and microtransactions taking over single player game experiences, and I think that was like a, a thing people actually like were scared about for a while. But I think 2018 and and even this year have kind of showed us that like there still is a market. There still is, yeah, for for single player games, and and that's not going anywhere because there still is a large market of people who want to buy like Assassin's Creed the latest one, and just play the story. Or like, uh, you know... Or Jedi Fallen Order. God of War last yeah. year was yeah. a big one. Control this year. Like, th- those those yeah. are games that like... I know, Contra- I sort of, Control is a terrible example because it, it did not sell well at all, actually. It didn't? And no, it, it didn't sell well. And apparently, um, Phil Spencer went on um, a Microsoft talk thing and said like, yeah, it's, it's a shame that it didn't sell well, but... You know, we're going to have it on Game Pass, so I'm really excited for that. And oh, yeah, that Control was a, that had to be like, be yeah, like... I mean, I'm sorry, like, that was a lie. <laughs> yeah, they had to be like, no, 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 whoa. Like, they actually, it's probably not a lie, if you think about it. It probably will be on Game Pass eventually. Yeah. But they scooped the story, and now they're missing out on all these holiday sales, which only <laughs> makes the fact that the game didn't sell well. But who cares? You know, I think the point I mean, is, is that, like, AAA single-player games are still... They're still here. Here. But, and I guess I was wrong to say that, that they're dying, but that is a... A fear that I will still hold going forward. It's sort of like they can take our toys away whenever they want mm-hmm. because they'll still make their buck. Yeah. So and and not to keep talking about Jedi Fallen Order, but that's uh the first game, the first Star Wars game that's a single player experience. And how long? Yeah, since like Kotor two. Yeah, which and they were so such popular, successful games. Whenever there was a single player Star Wars game, that it's just crazy to me that they've that EA has had it for how long now. For like seven years, they've had Star Wars or something, and they just didn't. Yeah, but they've completely screwed. Yeah. Uh, All right, we're 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 in lightning round now because we have twelve minutes left. I've got one real quick. uh, What do you got? Yeah. So I don't know if this one's good or bad. It's kind of it's kind of up in the air. But it's the ability for developers to edit their games after they're released. Because I think on one hand, there are probably some games that would just stay bad. Yeah. When we got them, but on the other hand, it's like are developers just releasing them unfinished? Because they have the ability to, and then I, you know, you, the people who pre-order it, which I'm not a big pre-orderer, but like, or buy on day one, you get, yeah, you, you get, get, get a way, off. Yeah. yeah. So I, you know, I'll just give my quick thought, and then I'll let John give his. But my my thinking on all of this is like I just haven't done the research for it, so I'm not sure. But I'm totally fine with patching games, and honestly, like, who cares if your game was bad at launch? If you can patch it and get people excited about it again, great. However. What does that mean in, like, 30 years? Like, how do we play that patched version of the game? Well, right, for preservation you know, like Yeah, for, for preservation. Like, do do we just, like, have that? Like, like how do you get that if you, ha- if you still own the console, but you don't have, yeah. like, a connection to the internet and you never patched the latest version? Like, yeah. how do you get a hold of that? Like, that's the problem. Yeah, it's it, like, if you put in Super Mario World on the Super Nintendo, it still plays Super Mario World the same exact way as everybody else. Yeah. And I'll tell you why I think for me as a consumer why it's bad even right now, or why it can be bad, is uh, Final Fantasy XV. I was waiting for that game for a long time. I, you know, I wanted to play it. I always thought it looked interesting since I was in middle school when they first started <laughs> showing trailers for it. And then when it came out, I bought it and I started playing it. But then I heard a lot of poor reviews and I heard a lot of things 
that like, oh, well, they're going to be fixing this and fixing that. And over the next year, they're going to fix the ending and they're going to fix this and that. And I'm like, well, then why am I, I don't want to play through this, this single player experience, like whatever, like however many hour experience now when it's not at its optimum. So then I was just like, I'll just wait and I'll wait and I'll wait. And I keep like hearing about new things that they'll edit, that they'll update. And then I ended up never playing that game because I'm like, I don't want to play the, yeah, the right. less optimal I've, version of that game. The example for that for me would be Paradox Games. Like between uh, Crusader Kings 2 and more on the topic, Stellaris, uh, they have rebuilt that game basically from the ground up like three times now so that people are waiting for a patch to start their runs and then just realizing, like, wait, no, I should wait for the next one because they're going to add so much more content. And uh, I think that you can get into these, yeah, that those weird, like, so why am I doing this sort of thoughts? But I, I like the improvement that they make every time. I think that if it's done in that in that way, in terms of patching things as as they go along, like, I I like the the growth a good game can get through this sort of. Um, uh, this sort of design uh, procedure, but it can also go a completely wrong way. And it, it, the the opposite end of the spectrum is is early access forever. And uh, I I just steer clear of those games because I sort of feel uh, they, they they just have a weird, star citizen. Yeah, it's gonna it, it actually it would never pay off for them to leave early access. No. They, if a releasing a completed game will kill them because they have like $250 million in funding <laughs> yeah. that for a game that hasn't been released. They should just keep doing that. Uh, not to scoop Sean's story here, but just to move on to another topic while, while we have time. Uh, the start of streaming, both Twitch streaming and also streaming uh, games directly via the internet. Yeah. You know, uh, PS Now and Xbox Game Pass are two things that we're definitely seeing, like, a lot of people... Stadia is another yeah. one. We're, we're seeing people try to be like, well, maybe we could do that Netflix of uh, of video games, mm-hmm. which PS Now, a long time ago, was trying to be, and apparently has, like, 800 games on it. It's, a, it's a pretty good. Uh, it's a pretty good program. I mean, it's not perfect. It still sort of feels like you're watching a video of yourself play, but... Um, yeah, you got to play like a, a Quantic yeah. Dream game yeah. or something. We just don't have like, the we don't have the internet infrastructure in yeah. America yet for most people to be happy we with have, streaming video games. We right? have been in 2009. If we were doing this in 2009, we'd be forecasting the end of, of physical media, and that hasn't happened yet. Right. And I still think that by 2029, actually, maybe we will by 2029, but it obviously isn't feasible yet. And uh, ownership still has enough lasting power um, that I think that even a game release in 2029, you can put into a CD-ROM, or sorry, like a, a Blu-ray <laughs> 4 drive. Yeah, yeah but so. it's worth noting because the Xbox is going out. Uh, they already have their Xbox One S Digital Edition, but they are, for their next console, like at launch, releasing a version that apparently won't have a disc drive. Oh, well, then I'm I'm completely wrong. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I think like, no, no, they are going to have a version with a disc drive, too, obviously. But, like, I think I think physical media is here for a lot longer than people yeah. would care to be. I hope so. Kind of similar to, uh, to TV thing like like t- 
television is dying. Yes, like the rate, like the rate at which people are watching linear television is going down and down. But no one's prepared to just be like, all no right, let's TV just, shows. Yeah, yeah, let's just shut it off. Like yeah. everybody, Netflix won. Like you know, there's 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 things in place. <laughs> yeah. It's further out. You know, like I'm not saying it's going to be here for a hundred years yeah. or even fifty. But to say like uh, TV's got like five years yeah. left, it's like right. like how millions of people are still watching. It's like millions of people are still buying that physical media. Yeah. Uh, okay, cool. And then my last one that I have listed here is, uh, and it's kind of weird because it's not the first year, the first decade of it, but I think it's the first decade where it's working seamlessly. Online play, just the ability to play these multiplayer games in a way that you don't have to have uh, I mean, a broadband internet connection. Sure, like, sure. I mean, everybody still complains about the net code of games, and, mm-hmm. and it's never going to be perfect because just of the essence of of the communication method yeah, practically but, physics yeah. are limiting us and yeah. um but no i mean that that's uh, i'm glad we've sort of perfected that that's one good way to yeah, go yeah because about i think it. like you know if we're going back to 2000s that's like around the time that like socom 2 yeah. is on playstation 2 or like final fantasy 11 like a huge mmo and it's like those were games that someone like me who lives close to new york city was like Ah, uh, maybe someday. You know, yeah, like, like right. I knew I couldn't do it back then. It I, wasn't just because of my age. It was because I knew I didn't have the yeah. ability. Like, I, I, I was always like, an I want to play an MMO. So it, it just I, sounds like I such an awesome like idea until I was old enough to realize I don't have. I, I would not want to. I was exactly the same way. <laughs> I have no interest now. When I was younger, I was like, oh, if I could only. Yeah. We would have. We would have totally played an MMO though if we had the money for the. Oh money. yeah, when Maybe, I was a yeah. back then yeah. we had the time. Yeah. Right. You know what exactly, I'm saying? Exactly. Yeah. Star Wars Galaxies. Come on, we would have been all over. Oh, that. I would. Um, yes. But I, I do think that I don't know. I, I wasn't a big online gamer, anyways, especially in the in the past decade. But uh, I do think that in 2009, by 2009, it, w- it was pretty. It wasn't as tough to play online, no. correct? Like, I mean, that was you know, like Xbox, Xbox One or Xbox stuff. 360 and PS4 or PS3. Yeah, I have one last yes, thing. Yes, please. And uh, I don't really have too much to say about it, uh, but it is very important, and that's just uh, crowdfunding. Yeah, Kickstarter, and I mean, going back to. Um, what was it? Star Citizen? Yeah. yeah. Star Citizen. And, uh, Shenmue 3 is yeah. like a, the weirdest example I Pay can think now. of. I mean, I think it's it's an interesting idea. And it can, it's, ob- it's obviously very easy to take advantage of because people have gotten scammed out of their money countless times already. Yeah. Uh, but, Mighty Number no. 9. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but maybe people decide, like, people aren't even making the game. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. That, that's actually very true in the board yeah. game world, apparently. Yeah. That's a thing that happens a lot. And that's just weird because there's no enforcement of that. I have another quick one. Um, the like rise and just like total domination of Western developers. Uh, for a long time, Japanese developers in the 2010s were kind of like losing out on their audience and like Western RPGs and everything were really taking over. It's only recently that like Capcom got its footing back and, yeah. uh, you know, Sega maybe like now the Yakuza's finally like become a big thing in the Western audience. But it's like, again, you have to like appease this Western audience. So it seems like for the longest time it was always, Nintendo, Sony, like, these guys were running everything, and now it's, like, you know, uh, 2K, who, yeah. you know, like, they run the market, essentially. Whatever they do, like, the, the industry follows. And 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 European developers are sort of having a, uh, they're kind of rising up as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, obvi- you know, indie developers will just always continue to grow, mm-hmm. but uh, I would argue that it's probably not moved as fast as people expected, no. based off of the success in the late 2000s. Yes. 
But you know what, what? What would you want them to become anyway? Indie developers would just become more AAA. Yeah, more AAA. And then we yeah. just have new indie developers. Right, right. So that's everything. Uh, we made it. We're gonna finish the episode. Uh, thank you so much for listening to everything. And if you like this, let us know uh, on Twitter as Film. You know where to at. <laughs>